Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. On this episode, I'm going to be presenting a paper I presented uh, during my master's studies dealing with Paul's use of the slave-servant motif throughout his epistles. If you appreciate this content or any of the other content here at the Freed Thinker podcast and blog, why not head over to uh, our Patreon page and become a sponsor? You can also click on the Become a Sponsor link on the blog. And as always, we appreciate any ratings or reviews that you can give us over on iTunes. So if you'd like to do that, we would greatly appreciate it. I'm also going to try to start thinking about some different ways to do some YouTube content. It doesn't always work out with my schedule, ah, but I'm going to start exploring it. I've, I've, I've dabbled in it before, but I'm going to try to make a little bit more of a concerted effort. If you uh, have any recommendations for that, or if you actually... I have some questions about how to do uh, some of the YouTube uh, editing, how to have multiple videos on so I can have dialogues and discussions with people. Uh, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, Your donations to this do help me uh, get some extra equipment so I can go from, uh, I'm trying to save up to get a uh, a better camera that works better for it rather than my little, you know, $20 Logitech webcam that I have that I bring back and forth between the church office and my home office. So uh, I would greatly appreciate the, that that your your donations do actually go to supporting the podcast and having me improve. Uh, I'm not, you know, out buying Starbucks with it or something like that. So uh, please consider uh, prayerfully uh, sponsoring the podcast. Well, with that, we're going to dive right in and review Paul's use of the slavery slave motif in his epistles. Enjoy the show. In his 1979 hit, Gotta Serve Somebody, Bob Dylan observes that it does not matter your station in life. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. This rather astute observation from the rock icon, considering his professed Christian faith, is at least plausibly based on what is a strong Pauline theme, that we are either slaves to sin or servants of God. Paul's use of the servant-slave metaphor and motif has been the topic of much debate in the realm of New Testament scholarships due to its obvious prominence within the Pauline corpus. In fact, William Fitzgerald says that the apostle is, quote, obsessed with the figure of slavery, end quote. 
While many scholars advocating uh, are advocating that Paul's use of the slave language is embedded in the Greco-Roman chattel slavery, a rising view among scholars is that we should understand it to be much more closely linked to his Jewish background. While this episode will in no way resolve the issue, what will be presented is a moderated position that we seek to draw insights from various perspectives and backgrounds. More precisely, it will be argued that there is a conceptual problem in trying to understand Paul's use of the slave language and imagery because Paul himself likely does not have a unified use of them. It may be more proper to speak of Paul's uses of slavery language in a variety of different applications. Some will be positive, others negative, some Hellenistic, some Jewish. To support this thesis, this episode will explore the lexical and semantic uses of the various words used by Paul, as well as other conceptual backgrounds in both the Old and New Testaments, as well as Hellenistic literature. Specific examples from the Pauline epistles will then be used to show that sometimes Paul is speaking literally, other times figuratively, sometimes referring to concepts comfortable for his Gentile audience, and other times seemingly saying the exact contrary based on Hebrew conceptions of bondage and freedom. Terms and Cultural Backgrounds There are several key terms that Paul employs in dealing with the concepts of slavery that will be explored in this episode. The first, dealing with slavery and being a slave, and the contrasting concept of freedom and being a freedman. The first family of words that are common are of doulos, or slave, dulia, slavery, or duleo, to be a slave or to serve, and that cognate group. In the Septuagint, this cognate group is surprisingly never used in the first three books of the Pentateuch, and in Leviticus and Deuteronomy only appears three times, and that's in Leviticus 25, 39-44, in 26.13, and then in Deuteronomy 32.36. But except for the Deuteronomy 25.36 verse seemed to be set at a, as a contrast of the Jewish debt-servant concept. This is the group used exclusively by Paul in several dozen instances, notably numerous times in Romans, especially in chapter 6, as well as Galatians 3.28, 1 Corinthians 7.21, and Philippians 2.7, and so it will be the sole consideration here. It's noteworthy that the dulueo group is not the only terms available for Paul. Other words such as pais, oikites, or therapon could have been used and may have served his concept better at times when presenting concepts of bondage more in line with the character of the Jewish debt servitude, or the Hebrew eved, rather than Hellenistic chattel slavery. These terms are used in the Septuagint, most notably of Moses as the, quote, servant of Yahweh, end quote, pais is used of Moses in Joshua 1, 7, 13, 9, 24, 11, 12, 15, 14, 7, and so on. But it is the fact that Philo and Josephus employed such terms which demonstrates that these words were still extant in roughly contemporaneous times with Paul. For an extended treatment of the use of pais, oikates, and therapon in the Septuagint, Philo, and Josephus, see Benjamin Wright's paper, Eved, Dulos, Terms, and Social Status in the Meaning of the Hebrew Biblical and Hellenistic Roman Culture in the 1998 edition of Semia. The second group of terms that will be relevant to the discussion here are the terms related to the freedom of a slave. The first group is the eleutheria group, or also which means freedom, the eleutheros, freed or freedmen, and the eleuthero, or to free. This is an important word group for Paul as it is one of the more common for Paul's picture of the Christian life. Seven of the 11 New Testament uses are Pauline. 
The usage of eleutheros is even more telling, with 17 of the 24 New Testament instances being Pauline. More terms in this group are agorazo, or to buy, exagorazo, to redeem, peripoiemoi, to obtain or to purchase. These are important Pauline terms found in texts like Galatians 3.13, 4.5, 1 Corinthians 6.20, 7.23, and so on. Further terms, such as those in Lutran cognate groups, which is to ransom, are also prominent in Paul and are found in passages such as Romans 3, 24, 8, 23, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, Ephesians 1, 7, 1, 14, 4, 30, Colossians 1, 14, 1 Timothy 2, 6, and Titus 2, 14. Now that the terms are clearly laid out, it's important to present a quick, though admittedly cursory, catalog of the three major conceptions of slaves' slavery that would have potential impact on Paul's conceptual landscape. They are Hebrew, the Greek, and the Roman or Hellenistic concepts of slaves or slavery. The Greek conceptions of slaves and slavery is rather unlikely to have very much direct impact on Paul's usage of such terms, as it was not only far more removed by distance than Paul's primary setting, it was also historically removed as it had been mostly replaced by the Hellenistic conceptions of slavery. As such, it will not be really considered here. We will now look at the Hebrew and the Roman conceptions of slavery in terms of their views regarding rights, ownership, freedom, and manumission. Uh, Just as this episode, by the way, will not explore the sociological aspects of slavery in the ancient Near Eastern Hellenistic worlds, since it's not an apologetical work, it will also not explore the ethical or the evaluative aspects of this either. For more on that, you can go to my collected works on slavery on the blog. First, Hebrew slavery rights and ownership. In the world legislated by the Torah, the primary understanding of the Aved, or the slave, would have been that of a debt servant, someone who had either been sold or sold themselves into the service of another for the purposes of paying or working off a debt. Under Mosaic law, servants were not considered the complete property of the creditor and had numerous protections. For example, they could not be abused, such as Exodus 20, 21, uh, Exodus 21, 20 to 27, and should they be treated harshly and run away, they would be protected from return until a trial could be heard, such as Deuteronomy 23, 15 to 16. Servants often were considered as part of the family, and in many cases would have actually held some kind of kinship relation to their owner, even if by marriage or extension. Overall, the economy was not a slave-based economy, and as such, Aved typically carries the meaning of one service to another, rather than one being owned by another. That is, the term displayed their function more so than their status. Thus, David was called a servant of Saul in 1 Samuel 17.34, and Moses a servant of the Lord in Deuteronomy 34.5 and several passages in Joshua. Then there's Hebrew freedom and manumission. Under the Mosaic law, considering that servitude was almost exclusively debt-related, and one of Yahweh's primary concern was that there be that uh, th- uh, that there not be any poor in Israel, such as in Deuteronomy fifteen four, the law also established periods of mandatory release. Every seven years, debts were to be canceled, and that's found in Deuteronomy 15.1, and every 49th year, that is every seventh seven, a jubilee was to be pronounced, and not only all debts canceled, but all servants freed, and all land returned to the rightful clan and tribe, Leviticus 25.8-13. It's kind of a reset button on the economy in Israel. 
The idea of perpetual or lifelong servitude was almost completely foreign to the Jews, so long as they remained obedient to the law. The ownership of foreign slaves is a potential view of passages such as Leviticus 25, 44-46, though I've argued elsewhere that this may not be the best understanding of the full law code. From passages such as Isaiah 58, 6-12 and Ezekiel 46, 16-18, we know that one of the major reasons for the judgment and eventual exile of Israel into foreign lands was precisely because of God's wrath against their treatment of the poor, the slave, and the foreigner. Next, there's Roman slavery rights and ownership. Unlike Jewish slavery, Roman slavery was nearly complete chattel slavery. Some historians have noted that slave cultures were the entire social order and economic structure of a civilization, have been rather rare in human history, and that the Roman world may have been the first of its kind. In addition, the Roman jurists themselves present a somewhat contradictory view of the nature of slavery within their society. While arguing for the ethics of slavery and the legal rights of masters over their slaves and as part of the laws of the nations, jurists like Justinianus stated that slavery is, quote, contrary to the natural order, end quote. Estimates, however, placed the population at roughly one in three for those who were or had been slaves in their lives in the Roman Empire. A myopic picture ought not be painted that all slaves were of low estate, however. It has been noted that in the clear majority of cases, a slave could not have been identified by race, language, dress, or even financial security. Slaves could have been mine workers with a short lifespan, or they could have been among the highest-ranking city officials, though most were likely in between as a kind of servant in a household or business, which, to be honest, they would have been about the same social standing as the, minor as the majority of freedmen. While not typically as debt-related as Jewish conceptions, the slave was still often considered part of the household, and the need to care for them and their basic needs would have been assumed. Roman freedom and manumission is also a bit different. By the time we arrived at the first century Hellenistic context of the New Testament, Greco-Roman and Hellenistic culture had been embedded into countless aspects of the Jewish daily life and worldview. While many maintained very Jewish cultural concepts, they could not help but operate within the broader economic structures of the empire in which they found themselves. This often meant that the Jews would be engaged in slavery beyond what the Torah taught, either as seller or buyer or slave. The Roman economic system of chattel slavery was far more complex, in large part because their view of and regulations concerning citizenship were far more complex as well. One could be born a citizen, buy their citizenship, or earn it, typically by military service. These same categories largely translated into the slave system and freedom where a servant could be born a slave or free, could sell themselves or be sold into slavery and then bought out, or they could earn freedom by military service. There was another means of manumission, however, that and that is to be sold to a religious temple in which they were still considered a slave, but instead of a slave to men, they were then a slave to that deity. This kind of sacral manumission did have an added perk of precluding that person from ever being sold into slavery to anyone else again. This concept will be relevant to Paul's usage of these concepts later. Biographical and Theological Considerations now that a survey of some of the relevant background information has been completed, further consideration must be made to Paul's own biographical background and other Pauline themes in his epistles, before attempting to come to a full understanding of the slavery theme in his writing. First, 
There are those who would argue that Paul was himself the son of a freedman and may have either been a servant during his own childhood or, at the very least, heard stories from his father's slave days while in his childhood. This idea of Paul is based partially on Jerome's statement that Paul, originally from Giscalsus in Judea, only relocated to Tarsus after Giscalus was conquered by Rome and his father relocated there. Some, like Hannikin, argue that this may lead to the view that they were relocated as captive servants, which others have supported by showing that slaves were typically enslaved rather than slaughtered after battle. Paul, however, states that he was born a citizen in Acts 22-28, making the view that he was born or even raised as a slave very unlikely. It's entirely possible that he was born a freeman, but only because his father had somehow managed to attain manumission from bondage and to purchase his freedom. Second, an important feature of Paul's own view of his mission will be relevant to our final analysis of Paul's use of the slavery-slave motif. Paul considered himself an, quote, apostle to the Gentiles, end quote, from Romans 1, 5, 11, 13, and Galatians 2, 8. In his own ministerial self-conscious, Paul thought of his work as a bringing the gospel to those people born outside of the covenant and the commonwealth of Israel and apart from the historic people of God. This fact will need to be kept in mind as we approach our analysis. Thirdly, in addition to Paul's view of his ministry being to the Gentiles, he also viewed it as service to Christ. Paul commonly referred to himself as, quote, a servant of Christ or of Jesus, end quote, such as in Romans 1.1, Galatians 1.10, and Philippians 1.1. In fact, Paul considered the believers' emulation of Christ's service to us and how they serve others to be a paramount indication of the spiritual life of the church, such as Galatians 5.13. This means that when analyzing Paul's use of the slave-slavery motif, it will be relevant to consider the way in which Paul was deliberately emulating Jesus' own ministry. Finally, one small note should be made that Paul is often inconsistent in his use of motifs and symbols within his own writing. Not that he is contradictory within his own writing, but rather that he will use a concept differently in different contexts. We can think of Paul's use of the flesh to refer to the natural body in 1 Corinthians 15:39 and Galatians 4:23 or the sinful impulses of man such as Romans 8:4 through 13 and Galatians 5:16 to 19 or his use of the term world to be used of the cosmos of the land in Romans 1:20 of all nations in Romans 1:8 of all mankind in Romans 3:19 or of a sinful ordering of the life apart from God in Romans 12:12 12, 12, 1 Corinthians 1:21 1, to 28 In addition, we can think of Paul's concept of the law, which he can either use as something beautiful and binding on the believer, such as Romans 3.31, referring to the moral character of the law, or as negative, like a harsh taskmaster that we needed to be freed from, such as Romans 4.13-16. Notice that this can change even within the same book. This kind of divergent usage of these terms can lead to confusion for the average Bible reader. However, for the purposes of this episode, it is simply important to note that a multivocal usage of a term or motif is not unusual in Paul's writings. Neither, in fact, is his intentional use of paradoxes and the tensions that arise from within them. He is happy to say that we, are o- that we only live by dying, we are strong by weakness, we are brought up by being made low, etc., and 
And we should not hesitate to add two more inverse paradoxes. We are set free by enslavement, and we are enslaved to be set free. Let us now turn our attention to Paul's usage of the terms and motifs and see what manner of conclusion can be made. Retying the Gordian Knot While some attempts to assert that Israel was cultural, quote, city on a hill, and that the Jews would have been insulated from the Pax Romana and the slave culture that it would bring, the evidence simply cannot bear this out. Not only do we have numerous examples of Roman slave trade impacting Palestine during the Second Temple period, but we also have texts such as 2 Maccabees 8.11 that make references to Israelites being captured and sold by the Syrian general Nicanor in order to raise money for a tribute to the Seleucid king at the time. Such a simple, clear-cut case of a purely Hebrew conceptual background seems to be wanting. However, at the same time, Paul does, does appear to use the Hebrew concept of a doulos far more in line with a positive valuation that is implied by the biblical Hebrew term eved. The point may now be made that Paul does not have a single univocal use of the slave-slavery motif, but rather will use the term and concept differently to convey distinct aspects for which the metaphor of a slave or servant may be helpful to his purposes. It may very well be the case that he uses the term in contrary ways depending on what his point is in that specific text, not in the sense that he is attempting to or does contradict himself again, but rather that he may attempt to highlight the concept of freedom that comes with redemption and manumission on the one hand, such as in 1 Corinthians 6.20 and 7.23, while highlighting the need for obedience that is required of Christians who have been purchased as a slave of Christ, such as Ephesians 6.6, 6, or in simply identifying one who is serving as a servant themselves, such as Galatians 5.13. He uses these terms to refer to other concepts, like being in destitute bondage to sin in Romans 6.6, 6, 6.16, 6, 6.20, and 7.25, as well as elsewhere, to adherence to obedience to God, such as Romans 6.16, and righteousness in Romans 6, 18 to 20, to impurity in 6, 19, to corruption in 8, 21, and a whole host of other concepts. Paul's usage of the term servant of Christ or servant of Jesus, according to some like Holland, who sees Paul's language as thoroughly Jewish, will read these terms to fully carry the same semantic reading as the Hebrew servant concept, and thus is likely a reference to the Jewish concept of the man of God serving the Lord, such as Moses, again in Deuteronomy 34.5, and of several passages in Joshua, such as David in Psalm 18.1 and 36.1, the Levites in Psalm 134, verse 1, and elsewhere, as well as the suffering servant of the Lord throughout Isaiah. Here, Paul likely has more of a function in mind than a status, someone who is committed and acts in service to God as a special calling or an office. However, some scholars, such as Deisman, see in this concept the connection with sacral manumission of servants sold in service to a deity at, at the temple, though he admits that it may not be, quote, fully parallel parallel to the pagan formula because the reference in St. Paul is to the new master, end quote. Others, like Dale Martin, will argue that Paul may even be appealing to our service to Christ as slavery because it aptly reflects patron-client honor systems, where the slave is honored when they serve a powerful patron. This would mean that, quote, slavery to Christ would, for that reason, have been an appealing image for people caught in low status or dead-end positions, end quote. 
Even the evangelistic commission of the church may be understood in the terms of the service with which it owes to Christ. Romans 10.15 asks the question, quote, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? End quote. In modern Western society, the question is somewhat bizarre, since we're an individualistic, free market culture and we can go where we please and have the freedom of speech to say as we please. However, in the world of Paul that he was writing in, with most of those living in the empire having been a slave at some point in their life, the question is deeply important. The slave, especially the imperial slave, was not permitted to speak of their own authority, but rather only on the authority and with the message of their master. Paul, having established our service to the Lord in prior passages, can therefore rely on that relationship to call believers to be emboldened to share the message of Jesus since he has commissioned them to it. And, as with the servants of Caesar, the servants of the Lord have a powerful message because of an authority by which and in which they are sent. Conclusion If all of this is the case, Paul's use may point to a real paradoxical irony in which we owe our freedom to Christ to our being purchased by him as a slave. Here, we can see that even in a single usage of Paul, the meaning may be multivocal, possibly why Paul found the motif such a rich resource to illustrate numerous realities within the Christian life. The summary of Paul's teaching through the lens of the slave-slavery motif is manifold. It can be that we are all slaves to something, that before Christ that something was our sin and our opsonion, in what that was death, but that Christ redeemed us out of slavery to freedom, or to bondage to himself, or through manumission to the one true God, that we are to be slaves to all because we are slaves to Christ, that we are to be free to all because we are free in Christ, that we are servants of God bought with a price that we can be adopted as sons who gladly serve the Father as Lord. As Walter writes, one of the greatest paradoxes in Paul's epistles is that the believer is freed from slavery that was malicious, harsh, and callous, then by faith becomes a slave of Christ, and is then paradoxically declared to have true freedom, end quote. That is the true paradox in Paul's use of the motif, a free slave. The reality of the Christian life is complex, and Paul found an image with assorted backgrounds and diverse applications that appears to adequately cover more of it than any other. As readers of the Bible, what we ought not to do is collapse such a rich metaphor back down into a rigid and singular box. We ought to allow Paul the flexibility and the freedom to apply the metaphor as he intends and learn what brilliance the light reflects to us with that turn of the diamond. Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to email me at freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com, visit the blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, or visit the Freed Thinker group page on Facebook. Thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for more content coming out. Good night, and God bless.